You're listening to Artemis Projects podcast with Melbourne-based theatre maker and performance artist Mish Grigor, whom I skyped on 20th of August, shortly after her first online performance, Wasting, Wasting, Wasting Time. In this podcast, Mish and I talk about her experience of performing via Zoom, what were surprises, what challenges, and how does she feel about the liveness and the intimacy of the in-real-life or in-person theatre being replaced with a digital interface. The question we keep asking is, are we rushing to go online and therefore missing on an opportunity to slow down, rest and cultivate deeper thoughts? Is speeding up in order to adjust and catch up with changes, blurring the clarity of our vision? Could wasting time and doing nothing be the most responsible thing to do right now? And what do we even have in mind when we suggest that time could be wasted? All that and more in the next 50 minutes of my conversation with Mish Grigor. This podcast was recorded and produced on the stolen lands of Eora and Kulin nations, the traditional custodians of the country, and we pay our respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi! Hi! Nice to see you. Yeah, nice to see you. How are you? I'm good. I'm doing well. Yeah, I'm in Sydney. So we have a bit better, I guess, situation than you guys in Melbourne at the moment. How are you going? How is your current existence? I mean, it's fine, you know, it's boring. <laughs> um, but um, it's it's fine I'm I can't wait till it's over but I'm also you know I have a full stomach and a warm bed so I can't really complain too much yeah and what is your day-to-day like what are some major biggest differences that you're experiencing well I mean we're not allowed to leave a five kilometer area away from our house and you're not allowed to drive even within that you're not allowed to drive to exercise you can only walk or run to exercise so I feel very like stuck here because even in the last lockdown I would go for like long bike rides or drive to the beach just to like because I just live in the northern suburbs there's like no nature so it's very I don't know it's weird not to be able to just like go somewhere even on your own outside feels illogical you know Mm. so I think that's the biggest thing everyone feels very stuck to their house and like I don't have a balcony or a veranda I live in an apartment so it's very interior Mm. yeah and what about working from home how is that functioning for you and from both feeling of physicality and also being inspired and creative and all that 
I don't feel that inspired or creative this whole year, really. I don't know. I feel like it's a really weird time. Also because I work so collaboratively most of the time and that's the thing is like just the social sense of being around people is I miss that a lot in terms of thinking about how I think or how ideas come or that kind of thing. Mm. But, I mean, it could be worse, <laughs> you know, like I, um, a lot of people in Melbourne live in like really cold houses, like really old shitty share houses. <laughs> and because my flat is small, it's like quite warm and cozy. So that's good. But I don't know. I guess I've always worked a little bit from home. I mean, like I hate it. Like obviously it's, I just would never choose this life. This is not my life as I mm. chose it. <laughs> yes. But it's sort of become normal but also like you know just being able to go break up your day by like go and do a bit of reading in a cafe or work in a library or go to my studio like all those mm. little things yeah yeah I miss it a lot yeah yeah I was just listening to a panel discussion or of some sort and somebody was speaking about missing people watching just sitting in a cafe and watching people pass by and just, you know, a theater of everyday life that uh, is also something that we are lacking mm. at the moment. Yeah. Do you feel comfortable staying with video or do you want us just to go audio? Maybe it's connections better. I, I don't mind. I was just wanting to show my face and say yeah, hi. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I tend to look around because I try and look out the my window so I get some non-screen <laughs> yeah uh, I work <laughs> I'm just wondering if our connection might be better if we okay. don't have video on because I'm getting a bit of interruptions ah, okay let's switch it off and hopefully that will be better and then we just focus on our voices I, I find that quite interesting in this period just this focus on voice mm. how that changes the way that we connect mm. is it something that you have been maybe experiencing as well yeah, it's interesting. I um, I always think about my friend who, when she went on tour, she was away from her child, and they she would do like Skype or Zoom in with the child. It was like a toddler and couldn't like was so distressed by her image. It was like I can hear you, I can see you, but you're flat, and it was like very confusing for the child. And like I think, yeah, it's like it's comforting in some ways to see people, but also really annoying. Yeah, it's mm. a funny it's a funny thing. But also I kind of love the domestic I love to see into people's spaces you know that it's sort of human or something, you know, like it's just people and the choices they make with where they are or I don't know there's something mm. very uh, private looking into someone's home space. So I I I kind of like that. And what about when you perform like you did for Adam and we were seeing inside of, was that your room or was it a different space that you chose to show us publicly? Yeah, it's, um, uh, I live with my partner and we have a spare room. So it's like our everything room. It's our spare room, books and mm -hmm. everything is in here. So it's, I guess, an office. It's my office. <laughs> That's, I guess, then deliberate choice that you made not to give us an insight, maybe in your sleeping room, but in some space that's more, yeah, that office-like feel, not, not as intimate. 
Yeah, yeah. It's not too, yeah, There's a, there are the levels, aren't there? Like when someone's sitting in their bed on a work call, I think that's always the most delightful because it's like, wow, you're really, that's really where you sleep. That's your sleep, you know, that's your vulnerable space. Whereas this is perhaps a little bit removed. Mm. Uh, that was the first performance that I've done, though, here. And, yeah, I don't know. I think in a way the framing of it or the opening of it was just to play because it was positioned as a lecture performance. I, I suppose there was something about it just being me going through my computer as I would. Like there was something sort of practical about that choice. Uh, whereas if it was some other type of performance frame, like I've just been really yearning, I guess, because Melbourne is in lockdown and we are all Zooming each other for work from our spaces, like in a, for my art yearnings, I've just like, I just can't, I, I feel so sick of um, portrait mode and people's faces and just bad lighting. Like, like I think if I, if, with another frame, I would have chosen something much weirder or beautiful or ugly or something that doesn't look like mm. a, a human space. Yeah. Mm. I was interested in this choice that uh, you made to call it or think of it as a lecture performance. Was that the framework that you were given by the festival or was it your choice to think and present it in that way no, as a that lecture? Was, yeah, the, the, um, the brief, I suppose, the curatorial brief was as a lecture performance that's the words that they used and that's I guess how I interpreted mm. but then you thought of yourself as a character or as Mish or how did you translate that in theatrical terms or did you think more of it as a performance art or something like that mm. um, I think in my th I think I was somewhere in between a character and myself a little bit like a persona or um yeah I guess I was like one I don't in some blur blurriness because I yeah I was kind of formalized but also informal as well like the mode was kind of a bit strange or something but I don't know I can't I don't know if it was exactly I don't I wouldn't say it was a character I would just say that I was sort of uh, using a different mode modality Mm -hmm. which was about presenting information and reflection but also I think I was interested in a kind of almost meditative kind of like those guided meditation style voices mm. <laughs> where um, because I think that the content for me was around images and being in places or imagining yourself into places or where you are or what is a place or a space. And so there's something about dipping a little bit into that kind of guided meditation style, which was useful for me. Is that because of the way that you also thought about the audience? Because you obviously couldn't see us. You knew we are there somewhere mm. in one of those little boxes. And yeah, I was, I was, wondering how you felt from that perspective how did you envision us and your relationship to us and, and where we are and how we are watching and listening yeah and were you at all thinking about that yeah I think it it's definitely something that I've found really challenging because I usually work in a live 
sense that the the audience and I are sharing the same space and my practice as a performance maker is very much um you know I feel like that is part of the practice is that uh sensing what's going on for the audience or listening to the energy in the room or trying to find a way to tune into this very strange sort of um yeah group energy whatever that means and so this performance to a camera um I suppose if I was you know some of my actor friends have a practice of film or television work so they have that in their back catalogue but I don't work in that way and so I think in a way I knew the audience was there but without being able to tune in I was kind of just performing for myself you know like almost Mm -hmm. like a rehearsal because I'm watching and I'm doing and I'm watching and I'm doing um yeah Um, was it more tiring in some ways I think it was um in some maybe not tiring but anticlimactic I think normally if I'm working towards a piece there is such a a rush of the adrenaline that comes with the liveness and the energy required to speak to a whole room or fill a whole room whereas this felt like it um, somehow it's because it's just for the laptop it felt like it was just a smaller stratosphere or something I mean these it's like very like woo-woo it's like very (laughs) difficult to understand why my experience was like that you know but um yeah it just didn't feel like it got as big as it would if if there was a theater with seven meter high ceilings that you have to sort of rise up in your Mm. imagining of yourself but at the same time I also I there was something about that that I was like oh this is really and you know this is really interesting like I was sort of intrigued by that difference Mm. I guess the the kind of adrenaline is very different because there is this rush of energy that you receive when you're on stage from the live audience it would be completely different than yeah maybe adrenaline experience in in this more flattened context absolutely and also the coming down from that because you know the kind of culture of theater and performance is that you've gathered together around this event and then you decompress together whether that be you know over a glass of wine or sometimes just like on the way out of the theater you know it's like very rare that I'll do a season and not come off stage wash my face and then go and talk to someone about their experience or the piece or the ideas or something you know and that is part of how you kind of come back to reality so then to sort of be pushed out into just oh I'm now I'm in my lounge room Mm. 30 seconds later I was very odd yeah very you feel that disconnect from the live there oh yeah Mm. I also felt when your performance finished there was this um you know usually there is a ritual of clapping and bowing or whatever you know there is like this more obvious marking of the Mm. end and transition and I was yeah I wanted to ask you how did you feel well now you spoke a bit about even after when we all went offline into our own spaces of loneliness again Mm. 
But even even that moment where we were still there together and we were invited to ask you questions and you went into a Q&A with the moderator, but just that moment when you actually stopped performing and transition was just so different. There was no celebration mm. like usually we have it on stage. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. I had um with the kind of 2020 year, I feel like everybody has these markers of... Um, you know, things that didn't happen. But I had a show in a festival in Melbourne that was due to open as the uh, initial lockdowns were happening. And so we were like really ready, like we were like bumping in the show and doing the lighting plot. And then we had to, you know, uh, take it down, (laughs) which is heartbreaking. But um, I think that one of the things I realised that I was sad about, about not getting to do the show was, oh, I don't get to share this thing with my community and my peers in the art world. And I realized, you know, how important that is to me. I suppose it's an obvious thing to say, but I just hadn't been, it hadn't been at the front of my mind of like, oh, this sharing of thoughts and sharing of work is so much a part of what we do and how we relate ideas back and forward from each other Mm. and of course those rituals are so yeah so set like this it's funny that in at Adam I found it actually quite um, strange and violent to go straight from performance mode into Q&A without any gap like normally if I do a show and then I go backstage get out of my performance clothes into my civilian clothes (laughs) And then there's a moment, a breath, some water, and then you might re-enter and go and sit on the stage and there's someone there to do a Q&A with. And just like these little moments of the liminal space between who you are and what that performance has required of you or what that action is or, or whatever it is, you know. But I think it's funny that all of these Zooms and I think every workplace or every kind of form of labor, it's so directional on the internet. Like you can get things done and you can talk to each other, but it's like you don't have these interstitial spaces where actually so much happens of of like thinking or processing or like going to the cafe on the break together with your colleague and just sort of processing what was happening or brainstorming or yeah, these other things. I just find that it's very like, we're either on or we're off. We're doing something or we're not doing something. <laughs> we're in the in the meeting room or out of it. I think that's partly what I was playing with is kind of queering or blurring of modes in the lecture was, is something that I'm really interested in in these months. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. This thing about um, feeling a certain violation is a really powerful word because yeah it's like being in a in a cage of a screen <laughs> and all these expectations of you to perform in a certain way and then yeah and and I know that I mean I know because you mentioned uh, in the Q&A that at the beginning you were reluctant to even consider online because you wanted to stay faithful to the liveness of theater and this energy in the room um, and we shared a room physically. Uh, so what made you even go into it and try it out? Mm. Yeah, it's. I've been thinking a lot. Um, I think that, well, initially, I mean, my resistance to going online was just this 
idea that there is no like nothing that can stop us as artists from just dealing with the next problem like oh there's no money that's okay I'll keep going that's you know there's no stage oh it's okay I'll keep going or there's no audience I'll just keep going like it's like we just accept the conditions that are pulled away from us I think sometimes but um I think also there was you know these moments of not wanting to just take something that was meant to be a live experience and put it onto a screen because I think that things you know those two things are speaking to a whole different set of ideas about well how they're experienced how you share them how you consume them like how what what time is on screen versus what the time is in a room together Mm -hmm. Um, and I really respect people who make you know works that are intended for screens whether that might be video performance or dance on screen or you know so many there are so many subcategories um and then I guess look as time went on I especially I think for people in Melbourne because we've gone back into a lockdown and it's a harder lockdown than before there is this general feeling of well what is this it's very existential kind of like well what am I am I an artist if I don't practice what is the performance space when will we ever be back there you know what how do I function right now mm-hmm. and then uh, with speaking with the curators for Adam they were interested in me presenting something and I guess I was like okay well yeah what if I try and make something that sits in this you know lecture performance mode and somehow deals with the screen in some way and it's yeah it was really intended as a kind of dipping my toe into that way and also I suppose I've been influenced by seeing some things and I suppose thinking about artistic community and like as I said before realizing that sharing of ideas and how important that is to me but I suppose seeing other people who I know or who I've met before, seeing their work online, and I feel like even if it doesn't, um, even if it might be, you know, not as uh, suitable or polished or um, uh, accomplished in some way for that new mode, for that new form, there is something that I've been thinking about, about how it's like almost holding the community or keeping something alive in the community, which I think is interesting. Like we're still holding together because we're still sharing something. We still have a context through which to gather, even if it is not our preferred context. Yeah. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, it makes me, I, I, yeah, I didn't think of it in those ways at all. It's, um, service in a way of just keeping that community existing and giving Mm. uh, and sharing because I was thinking more about the pressure to keep going and Mm. I would like to talk to you a bit more about that because of the topic of your piece which is about concept of wasting time and the guilt associated with potential of wasting time but also the very idea of what is that what are we saying when we say that time can be wasted? How did uh, the theme of your work come about for you and what did you want to express there? Well, I think it's such an interesting 
moment because for yeah there's this idea of I'm interested in wasting time but I'm also interested in I suppose what is time right now you know I think our experience of time is really different this year than it was perhaps last year um but certainly oh, it's just been so annoying to see all these kind of perfect neoliberal subjects who are like bettering themselves or just like having a great time in lockdown by getting really fit or whatever. Like I just find it really annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, also I guess um, I was reading this work by this theorist. Her name is Lisa barista or barista or something and she writes a lot about time and kind of draws on Julia Kristeva's work about like sort of circular time or non-linear times or I suppose you know framing them as feminist circular times and she writes a bit about grief and motherhood and the idea of caring and and time in when you experience time also like if you're in deep grief you know, you might be um, suddenly you don't feel like time is going forward, but you're sort of stuck in time or you're very aware of the passing of time. And she writes about when are we aware of the passing of time and what does that do? What is the materiality of time? And I think that a lot of us are talking, you know, there's like these memes that are on the internet, like, oh, it's only been 6,000 years since March, you know, Mm. (laughs) or, um, in a way time has slowed down but also a lot of people are doing less so what is that why is time faster when we're doing more or are we doing less or are we just in these repetitive actions and then therefore we are sort of feeling like we're stuck in that you know lots of people are talking about Groundhog Day the film again Mm -hmm. and um I, th- I I guess for me, like there is this, yeah, this concept of time and as I'm, you know, like I'm allowed out for one hour a day in public at the moment and I'm allowed to walk. And so there's something very, um, you know, like it is like um, I feel like a very monastic lifestyle <laughs> that I, I'm very aware of the weather and of the slow, like the last couple of days of um or, you know, looking that the sun is shining and it's getting towards the end of August. So perhaps it's starting to be spring, you know, these kind of tuning into these very localized realities, which I didn't, I don't think I would normally care about so much. Um, Mm. So I suppose, yeah, just thinking about time and then thinking about wasting time, like there's something I'm always interested in about wasting time. You know, I like the notion of wasting time with an audience, like, I really like long durational work or work that sort of, um, you know, like, cause it's so important when an audience gives you an hour of their time, it's so precious. Like it's incredible. Like we live these crazy lives where you can do anything. And these people have come together into a theater to spend an hour. And then I just think it's the funniest thing just to waste it. Like just to waste 10 minutes of that time together is so tricky or, or silly, which I think is interesting. But I also feel uh, you are questioning, or that was my impression from uh, the performance and from what you were saying, also questioning whether time can be wasted. Yeah. Because in a sense, when we waste time, we also make time. I think there was a point made there that, I mean, especially for any creative work, 
what appears as wasted time is actually the most productive part of the work. Yeah, absolutely. When you stare at it. Mm, so, so you were, I think uh, there is a line that you say in the beginning, and, and maybe I'm paraphrasing a bit, but you say, I haven't learned French, I haven't got fit, but I have been trying to waste time. Mm. Wasting time is practice. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 for me, it's impossible to waste time because it, it, you're just living, right? Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think that we have these cultural narratives around how we should be spending time or what is a valuable use of time or special time together. And I guess spending time trying to waste time. Like, first of all, I think, you know, I, I went to an artist talk by Tacita Dean and she said, and it's, you know, a lot of people say it like this importance of um, for an artist that you need to be bored, that you need to do nothing in order for things to rise up or to give space for new thinking, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I, I really agree with that, that you need, you know, and, and you often hear like even in, um, you know, if people are troubled by a creative problem or they can't solve something and then they go for a walk and it suddenly, you know, the pieces fit together and they and they find something in their brain mm. because they're sort of, it's like less directional, less pressured. Um, and also like, I just really like the idea of laziness or like being like, you know, like Garfield and just like sitting around and eating too much. And I think I really enjoy that. Mm. <laughs> um yeah. Uh, or or I enjoy I enjoy it as part of, you know, sometimes I also love to be like really busy and 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 really manic. So I think I I like that sort of spectrum of those things. But if you really try and waste time, it's really kind of it's like an interesting question, a philosophical question. Because I think it's like you can't, you can't waste time because even if you're like if you decide that you're wasting time, you're already undertaking an exercise and then it's abstract in some way. And it's yeah, it's like this weird, it becomes it's 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 like an Ouroboros or something. It's like you can't get there. Mm. It's just like eating itself. Yeah, there is this uh, conceptual artist from ex-Yugoslavia whose name is Mladen Stilinović and he wrote A Praise of Laziness back in the 80s. Ah. One of the sentences, I, th- I believe, from that text is the hardest work is to do nothing. Mm. And it was, I mean, he was super productive, so he was nothing, not, not even close to being lazy, but he was wanting to resist the pressure of production, uh, the imposed pressure, mm. which is something that I'm really noticing has happened right now because the whole thing, when it started, there was a talk about slowing down and everyone really wanted to actually rest. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, I didn't actually experience the slowing of time or allowance to do nothing and to just wait until it passes. Instead of that, everything has actually sped up in some ways. And now there is even more mm. things to catch up on and to learn and to, as you were saying in your piece, to develop all these new skills. And then I'm thinking about this pressure to keep going as systems way to distract us from actually noticing the problem, the core of the problem. Mm. So we just quickly adapt and keep going down the same path in a way rather than actually mm. stopping so things can fundamentally change. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't think there can be any kind of like structural change unless we extract ourselves from the processes that we're caught up in under capitalism. That's my own perspective as a sort of someone who works in the arts, someone for whom my art practice is my vocation and I work for an organisation. And since the lockdown, there's certainly been a lot of communication towards organisations and advocacy sources about still fulfilling what was expected of you this year and all of these kind of rhetoric around digital pivot which is just yeah I don't I think it's interesting that so many big political moments have happened this year alongside it alongside the pandemic of protest you know like the Black Lives Matter the huge steps in that movement that have happened this year and now the Belarusian situation but I don't know I don't know what effect they will have in the long term even though they've got such huge focus right now the world feels like it's not quite ready to accept revolution right now Mm. I mean that's like a, a big ridiculous statement revolution what does that mean but Yeah, it feels like on a micro level, people are still expecting or expected to operate in the ways that they were before, except now it's just atomized or further atomized. Mm. And it seems like things are changing. So we are kind of blinded from perceiving that in reality, nothing's really changing. It's just being repackaged. Mm. I think certainly for yeah people who are anyone who's involved in care in any way like all of my friends who are mothers or teachers it's like there's all these pressure on them but the pressures were already there but now it's just acute like this horrific like they're just so tired they're so tired I mean I'm just like this is one time where I'm like well not one time but like I'm just like, wow, I'm barely getting through this pandemic on my own. Like, I'm like, oh, this is difficult. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I don't have to feed anybody and do all my work and reconceptualize my practice or think about resisting that. And, you know, like, there's just so much. Yeah, it's just so um, immense Mm. for them. I was wondering if in some ways your work that you've done with aphids and you've done it last year and it's called exit strategies Mm -hmm. i I haven't seen the work but from the line that i read it's uh, about impossibilities of leaving histories behind Mm. and it makes me kind of again think about this need to really stop and scratch the whole way that we've been doing things uh, and the value systems that we build for histories and histories and just stop and give ourselves time first to see that and then to reimagine the new. Do you find any parallels between that piece and where you are at the moment? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting to consider. For me, with that piece, it was really about, um, I think that the, the one of the final points I came to with that piece is like that you can't just leave anything behind like it's always history is always with you in some way and 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 what if the strategy is just 
stick to accept it's you know to stick around to stay in the messiness that we're living in and try and look at it and and face it and deal with it because in a way I found myself naively just wanting to like cut things off or shut things down um Mm. as like a childhood kind of like you know fantasy almost of utopia um finding utopia Mm. um but I think, yeah, I think in a way what, we, what 2020 has taught us is that huge things can happen all of a sudden <laughs> that absolutely, like this virus, a year ago, nobody in the world had this virus. Like that's only a, last year, like it didn't exist. And now it is, has pervaded every aspect of most of our lives. Um, or maybe I feel that at the moment because of um, Melbourne being, uh, you know, in a still feeling very much in the th- in the thick fog of war. Um, so there's something in me that feels very optimistic once again about radical shifts. But then, yeah, it, I think I feel like both hugely optimistic and hugely pessimistic, and those things are equal in my mind. <laughs> Um, mm. so I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, because it, if I think, you know, structurally 2020 has taught us that huge change is possible, but it comes at the cost of the people that it's always come at the highest cost to people at the bottom of the power structures. So, you know, people, as we said, as I was saying, like carers or people of color are disproportionately crunched, affected by these huge shifts and the people who have power or privilege still remain sort of untouched or something. I don't know, Qantas flights aren't running and the organisations, you know, the corporation of Qantas has lost billions of dollars, but the people who are in charge of it are still really rich and comfortable and they're not actually facing any real imminent danger or, or you know, if they get sick, they won't be affected in the same way as if someone who has no money or resources is going to be affected or having to go to work still, having to do the care work. So, yeah, it's like it's proved to us that revolution is possible but only revolution that comes, you know, at the cost of human lives of people of colour and women and old people. And it's so so it's like that's the pessimism, you know. Mm. Yeah, and when, when you speak about radical change, I guess I have two questions there one is what do you see as required for that radical change to happen and i guess one thing that comes to my mind there is a radical imagination um Mm. imagination that goes uh, as somebody wrote i think um you know what thought cannot yet think Mm. and and i often wonder how do we even how is it even possible to have radical imagination and what is required for that space within us to flourish and to produce dreams that are beyond anything that we can actually think of? Mm. Yeah, I I went to a talk last week um, by Zara Stevens um, and she's an academic from Melbourne who writes a lot about the climate crisis and and about performance. One of her big ongoing questions is 
what is it that theatre can do that that other things can't and what is it that art can do and she, she really posits that art is the way to communicate and to get people on board and to make change to change popular opinion it was sort of interesting to think about what role does creativity play in I don't know I guess marketing <laughs> marketing the the changes you know not marketing the climate crisis but marketing the need for shifts <laughs> I think uh, someone told me about this book I haven't read the book that you know Bifo Berardi that philosopher is Italian I think he has a book about breath and poetry and 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 they were just telling me that you know he he kind of talks about poetry as being the only way out of capitalism because it's sort of obscure or or it's complex and it's it doesn't have a clear market sense or something like that like it's I was anyway that's on my to to read obviously I need to like get to read the book but I yeah I to think about what is needed for massive change (sighs) look I don't know I think I think Uh, it's like sometimes I think that the human race will just really like it's we're just burning out and that's okay you know like I think that was partly in my lecture as well this idea of this question I have around who was the last person to pray to a Roman god and you know that when the empire is ending you don't necessarily know the empire is ending like we really have like I don't feel sad if we all just die out I mean obviously like I'm like sad if my family is in pain but on a kind of larger level I'm like well yeah it's maybe time to go (laughs) humans um so that the planet can regenerate because it certainly doesn't feel like life forms are able to regenerate while we just like suck like vampires Mm. um but yeah uh, yeah, I, I I share that opinion with you, but also, um, you know, in, in terms of thinking about going, it's, um, I mean, I'm, I'm coming back to that idea of stopping, because we don't have to mm. go, we can, I'm like, even if we just stopped, and if we shifted the values from valuing productivity and speed, to valuing slowness, rest, doing nothing, because we've done enough. You know, we don't need to produce new things for dozens of years. We could actually Mm. just, you know, cultivate the land, care for each other, do things that do not result in products. Um, Mm. And I mean, and and it's interesting you're mentioning this book, Barati's book, because I heard about it also about three weeks ago, first time ever in my life. So it's interesting that it's um, kind of this synchronicity. Uh, yeah, mm. somebody, I think it's called Breeding, Poetry and Chaos. Okay. And it's interesting to use breeding in, in the title. I, I haven't read it as well, so I'm imagining. But again, a breeding is so connected to pausing for me. to And also care, caring about a body, uh, which is mm. then caring about the nature, caring about other bodies. Mm. And I guess I'm finding this um, turn to completely digital worlds endangering potential of that although it has its benefits as well but where we are just inside and and connecting with each other only through the screen and uh, maybe getting more removed from our bodies but then yeah I don't know 
it's it's a bit um, yeah it, thoughts are a bit messy in my head anyway at the moment yeah cause it's, I mean it's, it's confusing it's, yeah it's um it's interesting this kind of you know because of course we all have these like oh it's so amazing like I can go to this talk that's happening in Tokyo and I'm just tuning in and you know I have access to these ideas and these people and of course anyone who has any kind of mobility issues or challenges with travel or or getting around is suddenly more hooked in in a more democratic way than perhaps they would be normally and that's really enormously positive but yeah I think there is this yeah it's like it's like very weird to think of you know, my friend has um, a one-year-old and she doesn't really like, you know, let the baby Zoom people, I guess, because like why? It's no, you know, you can see videos or what, but she's like, it's just like they just have this like bubble where they're the only people for that child. It's so strange. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, the, the lack of socialization for children is, yeah, it's scary. The idea that some kids will not socialize for a year or yeah it's yeah and even for like adults you know like I I think we're so um like I was thinking um that this like being in Melbourne at the moment is a bit like living in a really remote area like you see someone and you're like on the street on at the same time and you, you're like, how are you? Like, how, how's your life? Like, it feels like I live under a rock or something. It's so exciting to see another human, you know, and, and their face and, and their back of their head. <laughs> um, because it is so different. I don't know. Yeah, these are also very messy for me as well. Because we're like, this is the thing I think as well, though, about rushing to go online with our arts practice or taking our whole lives online is like this is such um you know of course the cliche is unprecedented times and it's really important to just be having all of these thoughts I mean it's such a um self-aggrandizing notion it's like oh my thoughts are so important right now but I think it's important for everybody to just be like understanding and thinking about what the fuck is happening right now because this is so bizarre you know it's so weird this is so really real yeah I just think it's so important to try and spend time with the reality right now yeah and we I mean on one hand working the arts we have this pressure to keep performing and being relevant and and there is ego in that as well I think we you know there is always that as well of you know just knowing that we are out there Mm. but at the same time we are a very privileged part of society that can also you know we are not essential workers and maybe that's hard to accept (laughs) (laughs) you know society can do without us for a bit and and we have a privilege actually to stop while some others don't to stop and think and uh and yeah I mean that's a huge privilege to have yeah and somehow like in my mind that's that huge privilege is the privilege to waste time it is is it's like that's exactly it like if you know my mum is a nurse and so at the moment she's working extra hours and also the hours are very stressful and you have to put like multiple 
sets of clothes on that you take off in different rooms, like like, take off the exterior layer and then the interior layer and then all these like extra precautions that are really important, but it's fatiguing. And it's of course very anxiety inducing to be around a new illness or to be around very vulnerable people all the time. You know, like she's thinking about survival and and her patient's survival. And and that's what's, you know, that is high stress. And I don't have to think about that day in and day out. And so like the best thing I can do with my spare time is to try and waste it because what else is it for? (laughs) Oh, I don't know. It sounds so stupid. It is stupid. But yeah, I don't know. There's some kind of the tension in that I find really interesting and the responsibility and the kind of shirking of responsibility I find really interesting and the idea of relevance and irrelevance of certain types of labor I think yeah that's really where my mind is at right now yeah just wondering if we could leave it there maybe um yeah <laughs> sorry I'm like ranting I've been <laughs> no that's I mean yeah I'm really enjoying I mean that's I guess you know another thing that I've been really enjoying and it's been kind of special at this time and it's different is this connection through voices that I spoke a bit about at the beginning and um, I have a background in dance, so, you know, physical movement and body connection and, and vibration like that. And there is a lot of talk amongst dancers about voice being a body and voice mm. having a vibration and voice being able to touch. Mm. And so that's why I enjoy these moments where we don't stare at each other's image because it just takes me somewhere else and my focus is on this external thing but if Mm. we just tune into each other through our voices maybe there is this stronger sense of being touched by each other Mm. yeah that's interesting Mm. Mm. nice yeah um i will just ask you well, I'll ask you two last questions. But uh, first one is um, came out from another interview I've done uh, with uh, a Croatian poet, and she pondered a question: What would Corona look like without technology? Corona time. Hmm. I mean, it's interesting. Like, you, uh, how strict is that? What What is technology? You know, like language is a technology, of course. If we're telling each other, uh, don't come too close to me because you could catch the sickness. Like that is in some ways we're using a technology to communicate. But I guess like, you know, the most obvious thing of like thinking about it without the internet, that there was... Um, I'm trying to think now. I heard a talk with someone, an American artist, and she chose when the lockdown happened in her city, she chose, she was like, oh, if I'm locked down, I'm going to go fully locked down. And this is just like a, a video artist, I think. And so she did Vipassana. So she did completely disconnected all of her technology and, and didn't speak for seven days and just meditated. And once again, like, of course, in a Western context, it, for me, brings up the idea of, well, who has seven days where they can just do that? <laughs> they can just, you know, not have any work. It's, a, it's an interesting idea, but 
yeah I think she really did she was she said it was very negative she she did not like her experience in this in the way that she spoke about it and why was that was she elaborating on it she just said psychologically she couldn't really cope with it and she also didn't she wasn't like an experienced vipassana practitioner she didn't really know what she was doing she just sort of closed her eyes for a week and so it felt quite hellish to her yeah <laughs> i wish i could remember her name now but um yeah i suppose if thinking about corona without technology maybe we wouldn't even know it was happening you know like actually we would just people would just be getting sick but we wouldn't be hearing about why or what was really going on. Um, Maybe some information would be passing through, you know, uh, community papers <laughs> or, um, <laughs> I don't know, it's... Um, Town hall meetings. But we couldn't meet. Yeah. <laughs> well, we would meet and then everyone would get sick. Yeah. It's a bit like... Yeah, imagining uh, that Australian, there's an Australian book for children, um, a series called Tomorrow When the War Began about these teenagers who sort of go off camping in a remote location and then um, there's an in invasion and they have to sort of live out in this bushland uh, and get away from society for like, you know, indefinitely. Um yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I definitely, that provocation certainly makes me think about how much I have been leaning into technology <laughs> as a survival mechanism. Yeah. I mean, I try to do this thing every Friday I and, and I had to make a very deliberate and strict decision, uh, first of all, to go to nature. And luckily in Sydney, we can do that. Um, so I go out of Sydney into a bush and mm. switch off from technology for 24 hours. Mm. I don't turn my phone on or computer or anything because, yeah, I'm just glued to it otherwise. And, and it's hard work for me. It is that, you know, it's the hardest thing to do is to do nothing. And the hardest thing to do is to not turn on your computer. Mm. And my experience is that, you know, I turn it back on and it's not like much has shifted. Like, you know, I can do that actually. And I'm lucky <laughs> enough to be able to do that. And it's just really refreshing. Yeah, I am um, in between the two lockdowns. My friend has a little shack about an hour and a half from Melbourne and just before our second lockdown I went up there and there's no power or anything and no hot water so like I went up there and it was going to only be for two nights but then they they said they weren't going back there so I ended up spending a week there and that was really nice just to you know every day because it was it's freezing like it's Melbourne in winter so it was like your day is just like lighting the fire, keeping the fire lit, boiling some water to have a little bit of a bath. Like it's basically mm. camping, um, you know, trying to cook some dinner without, with just stovetop. But it's really full because you're just spending all your time existing. And I think that that really helped a lot of people when the second lockdown was announced because the we, it's not like we we really came out of lockdown. It's like it's been ongoing since March, but when it was announced that, we were going back into this, like, you can't leave your house kind of phase. 
I had just come back from that. And, and yeah, I think that time in nature really meant that I was like, oh, it's okay. I've had a little breather. I've had like another rhythm that isn't just the rhythm of my flat and the mm. internet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how long is Melbourne supposed to be under lockdown for? Is there any indication at this stage? Um, I think it's another three weeks at least for this like hard, hard lockdown with a, you know, with the one hour mm. a day. So all I want is just to be able to, like, I live about 10 kilometers from the ocean or from the bay. I mean, it's not like mm. Sydney. It's, it's the <laughs> bay. It's not nowhere near as nice, but it, it, you know, there's the mountains and the bay and I'd like to go and see one of them. <laughs> so I'm just looking forward to that, hoping that, that, that this is lifted in three weeks. Yeah, it really highlights what the essential needs are. Because yeah. <laughs> it's interesting that that's the first thing you would want to do. It's like just, yeah, it's pointing to the things that really matter. Um, yeah. Yeah. I will leave it there, if that's okay with you. Yeah, thank you so much. And thanks for having me on your conversation. It's nice to spend the time thinking. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was lovely. Thank you. Speak soon. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Artemis Projects podcast. For more about our projects, head to artemisprojects.com.au. This podcast was recorded and produced on the stolen lands of Eora and Kulin nations, the traditional custodians of the country and we pay our respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. <laughs> <laughs>